For decades, Native Americans have protested against the images and names offensive to their culture. Until recently, those protests fell on deaf ears. Recently, Washington, D.C.'s NFL team has agreed to drop their name and to seek a new one. A soon-to-be-released film, executive produced by the Yoshidihi Wintun Nation, Imagining the Indian, documents this struggle. And here's a clip from the film. It's a slur. It's a racial, derogatory, disparaging slur. The original sin occurred the minute Europe touched native shores in North America and South America. There was a bounty paid on the scalps of men, women, and children. In the 100 years that followed the arrival of Europeans, the population was reduced by over 90%. This legacy of genocide and the attitudes that sit behind it are in every Native person's mind as he or she, even in the 21st century, looks at the name of sports teams and the denigration that is often reflected in the mascots associated with them. When you think of a brave or a warrior, do you think of somebody who is the director of a museum? you think of somebody who runs a tribe that runs multi-million dollar industries? Of course you don't. The images that we do have are these fictionalized stereotypes characters. It dehumanizes human beings. Mascots, stereotypes of Native people lower the self-esteem of Native youth. It's as much of a slur as it would be to call the team the Darkies. Now how many Americans would allow that to stand? For me as a black person, if we don't want to be called niggers, then I can't be talking about no redskin. Joining us today are Tribal Secretary James Kinter, film co-director Ben West, and producer and Washington Post journalist Kevin Blackestone. Secretary Kinter, when you see the images of the Washington team and see their logo, what do you feel? Well, I feel very uh, disrespected, uh, disheartened. Uh, feel like, you know, there's uh, nobody on the other side listening to what some of the tribal uh, folks are saying, some of the tribal authorities like the National Congress of the American Indian, Oneida of uh, New York, the Yochidee Winter Nation of California. Um, I feel like uh, this is something that has been protested since inception back in the 30s, although tribes didn't have a voice back then. As you were saying, we're barely getting that voice, that political voice now. And so, um, you know, in the 70s, NCI, the National Congress of American Indian, they also have been uh, heavily involved in protesting this name. Uh, tribal authorities have come out across the country uh, with resolutions demanding that this change. And so uh, there's a very, uh, um, there's, there's a psychological effect that this has on tribal folks across the country uh, when you have an image like this out there in one of the, in probably the, the most popular uh, sports in, in the in the world essentially and it's over there making fun of uh, of us in, in that way and uh, you can't put one uh, through the spectrum of the, the tribal nations there's a spectrum of color you go down all the way down to the equator all the way to Alaska there's a spectrum of color there you can't put one person on there and say this represents all tribes across the across the nation and so that's the first point so well uh, I, I I watched uh, uh, a video uh, called Yoshidihi Speaks Out. And a former chairman of yours 
talked a little bit about the historic uh, basis for that name itself and called it the R word. Can you share a little bit of that with us? Yeah, so you know, this name does derive from bounty hunting. Uh, we know that we've, we've you know, talked about this in the past, although the NFL and, and the Washington football team have a very, um, they have a machine that they can put out whatever they want to and they can spin it any way they want to. And so, you know, this comes from bounty hunting. So we know that it has murder, it has uh, rape, it has uh, land steals, it has, um, you know, slavery involved in it for tribal people. And so it is, to me, it's nothing different than the N-word except for it's been put on the, it's, we've been um, sensitized to it because it's been, it's been here since the thirties. And so over time, people just kind of take it and say, well, maybe it's not that bad, but we know that it is. And uh, that, that um, historical trauma that we're speaking of, it, it, does, it does affect us. And so we're here to speak out on it, to make sure that our point's getting across and to make sure that people know that uh, when you say this word, you are degrading an entire race, so. And Ben, as the co-director of this film, talk to me a, a little bit about what you found, not only throughout the nation, but through your own experience about how this particular issue impacts Native Americans and how the community is seen by the rest of America because of it. Yeah, so um, I, I am uh, myself Cheyenne uh, and uh, grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, as did uh, Kevin and another of our producers. Uh, our co-director uh, has also lived in Washington, D.C. for 40 years. Um, so we're all familiar with that team uh, and its, its imagery and its name, uh, which, which is a dictionary-defined uh, racial slur. Um, you know, I, I grew up um, sort of with uh, around people like uh, Suzanne Harjo uh, and Kevin Gover, um, you know, who, whom have, have uh, undertook who, this. Who are those folks? Just uh, Suzanne Schoenharjo uh, is a uh, writer and activist uh, who, who filed um, a case uh, tr uh, to try to get the, uh, the Washington team's uh, trademark revoked. Um, and uh, Kevin Gover was also uh, involved there. Um, so they, they've been, um, you know, they, they've, they've been at the forefront, uh, along with many others, um, of this fight for, for many decades. So, you know, as a Native person myself, and having grown up in Washington, D.C., um, you know, sometime, you know, as a, as a six-year-old, I, I was uh, more concerned of, about uh, making the, the proper baseball card trades. But, you know, eventually I, I sort of started taking this in as a Washingtonian and, and and thinking to myself, wait, what, what's wrong here? Why, why, are, why are people comfortable uh, with this? And, and so that's... That, that's well, well, let's pause here for just a second, Ben, because I, I, I am curious, you talk about being a child and trading baseball cards. What do you think this imagery has as an effect on children and how they see themselves? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's well-documented. Um, there have been studies uh, done uh, one recently uh, just came out uh, that was by uh, Stephanie Freiberg, among others, um, that, that uh, you know, that it's empirical research and uh, it, it determined that, that these names and images and mascots uh, are detrimental to, to the mental health, especially of, of Native youth. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the CDC compared um, uh, the suicide rate for, uh, 
for Native youth at crisis levels uh, back in, in 2015, I believe. Um, and I, I think there's no doubt that, that this sort of mascotting and, and, and harmful imagery is, is a contributing factor. Kevin, you're a columnist for the Washington Post uh, covering sports, and you do that on television as well. And you've been covering these issues for years. What, though, has changed in our culture at this moment that made the team take action now? Well, uh, the thing that changed is all of a sudden we had a national reckoning with uh, racial injustice uh, in this country. And people may not have seen this coming to the Washington football team. Uh, I certainly didn't. I don't think anyone working on this film saw it coming. But what happened was there was a connection uh, that was made between, the, uh, between police lethality against black men in this country what that said about systemic racism within policing in this country, the broader picture of what that means about racial injustice in this country, what that meant about white supremacy in this country. Um, and all of a sudden, you saw this, uh, uh, this, this flash flood, right, of, of anger uh, against all of this symbolism that has to do with racism in this country that swept uh, Confederate imagery and, 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 and knocked over um, Confederate monuments and wound up uh, knocking over and getting removed um, several statues of Christopher Columbus, which brings this full circle. It shows you, it reminds you that the racism that we are fighting right now, that young folks are out in the streets uh, fighting across this country right now is directly related to the genocide that was suffered by native folks in the 15th century with the arrival of Europeans upon this shore. This is the seminal moment for racism in this country. And specifically for the Washington football team, what happened was is that people realized that the founder of the team, George Preston Marshall, uh, was a racist, um, that he held this team uh, in racial bondage uh, up until he was threatened in the early 1960s um, by the federal government uh, to uh, integrate. It was the last team to, to integrate um, in, in the NFL. And so he was a, a standard bearer for racism within, within sports. And as the secretary pointed out, this is the biggest, most powerful sport in this country. Uh, and this franchise happens to be one of the most famous and one of the most infamous I, I and also one you, of the wealthiest in this country. Kevin, I, I, I want to ask you this, because you've covered sports for a very long time. And do, do professional sports in this country get somewhat of a pass in terms of their own accountability for issues Absolutely. like this? Absolutely. Um, we've given uh, too much credit to sports in this country as being in the vanguard of social change. When in fact, it's been the exact opposite. Sports have been laggards when it comes to social justice in this country. I mean, the reason that there's a Jackie Robinson story is because baseball for 60 years refused to let uh, the progeny of enslaved Africans play its game. Um, the NFL was segregated for 13 years between 1933 and 1946. Um, no longer uh, did it want to allow uh, people of color to play its game. Uh, basketball started in the YMCA uh, as an all-white sport. Um, 
boxing uh, for the heavyweight championship. Uh, for a long time, uh, no black man was allowed to uh, fight for that title because it was seen as, you know, the imperator of, of masculinity on the, on the planet. And, and how dare a black man be considered uh, the king of masculinity in this world. So um, you fast forward to this particular issue, uh, particularly when it comes to the NFL and this franchise. And we can go back to the 1970s and we can start to see an erosion of native names, mascotting and imagery in sports, except for right here in this city, the nation's capital. And that's kind of why we started to focus our, um, our film uh, on the issue here in this town. All right, Secretary Kinter, uh, your tribe has not come to this issue just lately, but you've been involved for a very long time. Tell us how your tribe came to be so associated with leading on this issue. Well, just through our history, as, as far as, uh, you know, coming up uh, very uh, much in poverty, not having a whole lot, uh, being discriminated against, uh, those types of things, uh, you know, put us into that position. But, um, you know, when we started being able to have some resources and being able to have a political voice, we decided back in uh, 2010 to do some uh, some things. 2013, we put the YouTube video out. We decided to uh, partner with the changethemascot.org, uh, the campaign to to remove these these types of images from uh, popular culture. And uh, so we became involved, we've been involved since the, since the beginning, since the people got here uh, and, and interrupted our, interrupted the, the tribes. And so- and, and now you're lead executive producing this film. What are you hoping that audiences are gonna take away from it? Well, there's so much rhetoric coming from so many different directions. We're hoping that we can put a perspective from tribal folks, from, from minority folks to be able to tell our side of the story without being interrupted in a way that um, you can, you know, there's so much media out there that, you know, people can buy it off and, and they can spin stories, what, whichever way they, they choose to, if they got a lot of money. And so um, what we're trying to do is put that perspective out there in a way that um, humanizes the issue uh, that makes sure that it, um, it, it's putting it on the forefront for folks and letting them think about it in a way from tribal voices, from minority voices saying, Hey, look, this is wrong. This is an injustice. Uh, we need to have some change. And if we're going to have real change in this country, it needs to start with our popular culture. So Ben, this is a movie that seems like it's met its moment, but go back to the beginning and tell us how this project, and Kevin, feel free to jump in here too, as to how this project got started. I will actually let Kevin jump in immediately since it was, <laughs> it was originally Kevin's brainchild. So Kevin, Oh, well, well, thanks. Well, I, uh, as, as Ben uh, said earlier, you know, I, I grew up in this, in this city. I grew up rooting for this team um, and never really uh, questioned uh, the name of the team uh, because it wasn't part of the chatter uh, at all. And it wasn't until 1992 when I was walking into the Super Bowl up in Minneapolis where Washington was playing Buffalo that I, I encountered off to the side of, of the street near the stadium um, a big commotion. And I went over to find out what it was all about. And it was a whole bunch of people protesting against the name. And that was the first time uh, I had heard or seen that. Um, and about five years or so after that, I was writing a column about um, the NAACP in Midland, Texas, which was fighting against the Midland um, School Board 
uh, to get the name and the imagery erased from Midland Lee High School, which was named after Robert E. Lee of the, of the uh, Confederate Army, uh, because they felt insulted having their black boys score baskets and score touchdowns for that team with that sort of imagery around. And that was the first time I made a connection. I said, wait a second, I'm upset about this and I'm supportive of this effort. And I can understand, as the secretary said earlier, that there is a connection between the denigration of native people um, in sports with this sort of imagery and a word that is akin to the N-word um, that has been normalized in sports. And so I was just able to spit it out. I was able to wear it on my chest. I was wear, able to wear it on my cap without thinking twice about it, knowing that if I encountered somebody on the street um, who wore the N-word across their chest or on their hat, that would wind up being a fight. If it was someone uh, who, who was insulting um, my heritage. Uh, and so I started to make the connection then. And in 2014, when it appeared as if this was at a, this was at a, a, a at the precipice because of the second uh, lawsuit brought by Amanda Blackhorse um, with Suzanne Harjo's, uh, Suzanne Harjo's tutelage, um, that the trademark I canceled for the team, I said, we need to document this on film. And that's when I went to a friend of mine, Sam Bardley, and we started working on it. And we just didn't have the, all the infrastructure and the funding at the time we needed. And that's when um, I mentioned it to Aviva Kempner, who is an award-winning documentarian here in Washington, D.C. Most, um, all of whose films have, have been based on or based around uh, Jewish heroes and heroines. She is Jewish. Um, and she was drawn to the, uh, she was drawn to the issue and she said, as soon as she's done with her last film, she wanted to work on this and she introduced me to Ben. And so Ben, mm -hmm. you've been working on this film. You're, you're the co-director of this film. And I, we realize that, you know, that the story is still being written at this moment. But given the, the trajectory of the events that have taken place, change is happening on the ground. But it begs a question regarding other mascots. How is the Washington situation going to impact other teams that use Native American references like the Atlanta Braves or the Cleveland Indians? Well, I, that's a great question, Scott, and thank you for asking it. Uh, I, I think we, we had no idea what order this was going to happen in, um, but I, I think that uh, Washington's uh, NFL franchise is, is the first in, in a uh, series of dominoes um, that are likely to, to fall here. Um, you know, I, I wanted to, to harken back to something that uh, Secretary Kinter said, um, a word he used actually, which is uh, that, that we hope, uh, Yoja hopes and, and we hope in making the film to humanize um, Native people within the context of, of this, because what, what, what this imagery does, what, what you know, these mascots and logos and, you know, people in the stands painting their faces and playing Indian does is dehumanize native people. And, um, you know, the, the, the name uh, of the Washington team is going to change. We don't know to what yet, um, but there are plenty of, plenty of others. Uh, Cleveland is now, uh, we'll see how this goes, but has announced that they will, they will engage the native community in, in, 
discussing a name change. Um, but you know, th things like um, uh, an arrowhead on a helmet and a tomahawk on a jersey and uh, you know, a, a non-Indian uh, dancing around midfield um, at halftime are, are what, what they do is, is promote this, this sort of, um, the, this idea that native people are, are relics, are artifacts ourselves. We're behind glass in a museum. We do have rich history, as do, as do all people, but it's, it's very important, I think, for, for the, the general public to, to realize that they need to think of native people as, as living, breathing, contemporary human beings, uh, and, and to think of us in, in the present tense as well as the past, because we are here. Well, I, you, you raise a, a great point about being living, breathing, contemporary individuals. And I'd actually like to go to you, Mr. Secretary, uh, to tell us a little bit about uh, the tribe, the nation right now, and some of the things that might surprise many of us about all the things that the Yoshidihi are doing right now in terms of their own development and growth. Yeah, so, you know, back in the 80s, we had an opportunity to, to experiment with some with the gaming industry. 92 came around, we were able to open a class three gaming facility. With that, we were able to garner our resources and be able to diversify ourselves. So we've gotten into agriculture, one of the most diverse agricultural um, departments in, in the state. Uh, we have world-class olive oil, world-class wine, uh, international olive oil sales uh, to Japan with our olive oil. Uh, we do a number of things for cultural resource protection. Uh, we have one of the top uh, cultural resource departments in the country uh, uh, protecting sacred sites. Um, we're also uh, uh, into entrepreneurship, you know, having our, our citizenship go out and, and create businesses like, you know, like myself, I have the restaurant, my mom has a restaurant. So we're trying to promote that, but we've also been able to provide healthcare and and those uh, essential things like education to our folks too. And so uh, we really come a long way from where we were when I was growing up and uh, back in the eighties when we were in poverty, uh, fast forward 30 years and now we're able to, um, to have all these you know, opportunities to be able to further ourselves. But uh, yeah, getting into the agricultural uh, areas and, and doing that type of thing really helped our tribe to-, to Like what type of agricultural uh, uh, industries are you guys involved with? So we're in traditional farming, we're in uh, organic farming. We do uh, wine grapes, we do olives, we do a number of different products. We have a, a cattle uh, beef uh, industry that we're doing. Uh, so we do a number of different things. Um, we're getting into more uh, row crops like tomatoes and corn. We have walnuts, almonds. We do a lot of uh, uh, dry farming like sorghum, wheat, um, those types of things. And so we're very diverse and uh, in our area, uh, we don't have these big spreads of land. We have these uh, pieces of land that are about 200 acres. So we can't, we don't have a big farm. So we have a, a number of different farms up and down our valley here in, in the Cape Bay Valley. And uh, just really continuing to diversify ourselves and making sure that, uh, you know, the youth take a look at what we're doing and, and get, them, get them involved as well at that level. When you talk about the youth and the tribe and the diversity of, of the activities that your tribe and others across the, the United States are involved with. How does this moment in time and the actions related to the change of the team's name and just the other issues, uh, broader issues of race, justice, and inclusion, how do you think uh, this particular issue fits into this moment in time? I think it's fitting, uh, you know, it's gonna be a, a generational change 
honestly, you see the youth coming up and people, um, I guess with social media too, I guess it's really kind of at the forefront of things where people can put their opinions out there, get opinions back. But I think uh, what it does is it, you know, in our, in our tribe, we're really talking about social justice when we talk about like Black Lives Matter, things like that. We don't get into the, the political rhetoric either way, either which way. And so we really wanna make sure that when we're talking with our youth about these things that we're talking about what the real issue is. It's about social justice. It's about people being treated equally, uh, mutual respect, uh, common decency, those types of things where, um, you know, sometimes you can get into the rhetoric and watching Facebook, or whatever you're gonna do, and you start getting these, uh, these messages about, well, maybe it's about this political issue over here, or maybe it's about this other issue this way. And uh, what we really try to do is, is ground people and to make sure our youth understand that this is about uh, social justice and, and, and the way things are in this country, so. And, you know, you raise a question though about how it all works together, but as America's original people, how, do you, how is it in the conversation that you're having, not just within your own tribal nation, but with others, how do Native Americans reconcile U.S. history and, and all of the events and people we commonly celebrate with the impact that they had on the Native American peoples? Yeah, you know, I really think it starts with education, you know, getting the proper education into in in the middle schools and the high schools, in the colleges, and making sure that people understand that, um, you know, what happened here. Um, you can't cover it up, you know, there's genocide. Um, you can't, you know, go back and, and change it. But what you can do is make sure that when people, they have a sensitivity to it, that they understand that, you know, tribes went through this issue. And uh, when you understand that and you understand, then you have a little more uh, sensitivity, a little more uh, compassion for folks when, when you're dealing with these types of uh, big issues across the country that are, uh, that touch everybody, you know, honestly, so. Okay. And I think we'll leave it there. Thank you all very much. Uh, uh, this is a, an important conversation at an important moment in time, and we look forward to seeing the finished product when the film comes out. Awesome. Thanks, Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. And that's our show. Thanks to our guests and thanks to you for watching Studio Sacramento. I'm Scott Syfax. See you next time right here on KVIE. Thank you for listening to Studio Sacramento from KVIE Public Television. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help others find it. All episodes of Studio Sacramento, along with other KVIE programs, are available to watch online at kvie.org slash video.